Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's Let's ride. Time for the words that are recited before each and every game here at Dodger Stadium. Take it away, Finn. It's time for Dodger Baseball. What is going on, Dodger fans? Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Incline Dodgers podcast. If you were to catch this most recent game of the Dodgers, it was a wild one. The Dodgers are coming off an 11-9 victory against the Chicago White Sox. They also win the series after dropping the first game. We're going to dive into all that. We're going to preview this giant series that's upcoming. We're going to talk about the, the mess that is the Anaheim Angels. What a disaster they are. We got some fan questions as well. A whole lot of stuff. But we're also joined today by Greg Bergman. You might recognize his voice on ESPN Los Angeles. He is the executive producer of the Mason and Ireland show. And you hear him on the air as well, chiming in with all his jokes and commentary. Well, Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Let's get started with you. What are your thoughts on the Dodgers play in the most recent span? Uh, I mean, it's been a little bit up and down, right? And thanks for having me, by the way. It's nice to see all you guys in on the, the Zoom screen here. But yeah, I mean, the Dodgers have been a little bit up and down a little bit recently. We're seeing a little bit more losses than we have in, in a while. I think there's something like, what, four and six in our last 10, or maybe it's five and five at this point. I don't know exactly. But yeah, it's it's been a little bit up and down. But it's, you know, it's the middle, of, it's June. So I kind of expect it at this point. Definitely. Yeah, they're two up on the San Diego Padres for the National League League in the West right now. David Rosenthal, let's get you into the show. What are your thoughts on this Dodgers victory over the White Sox? I think this was one they kind of they kind of had to have. The, the game started out kind of rough. Uh, I think I texted in the chat that it's over after it was 4-0. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh, no, they fought back and the offense was electric. And I think the big storyline here is obviously Max Muncy. Uh, I mean, if he can get back to even close to what we're used to with Max Muncy, then the Dodgers are golden. If Max Muncy is Max Muncy again, this division race is over. And I'm confident in saying that Uh, the pitching, the bullpen obviously was not great today. Tyler Anderson threw too many pitches in the first couple innings could only go three, Uh, but they did what they needed to do to win. It's, It's that simple. So two out of three from the White Sox, two out of four from the Mets, pretty solid. I uh, would have liked one more win in there against the Mets, but you can't really complain after a three-game sweep by the Pirates for the first time since 2000. So, Yeah, so from a pure entertainment standpoint, this was probably the game of the year for me. Dodgers were down 4 nothing, like David just mentioned, but they rallied in the fifth inning. They dropped six runs against Dylan Cease in the White Sox. 
I don't know what Tony LaRusso was doing out there. He left Cease out to dry. We saw Freeman double to score belly and Lux. Then Turner drove in a run with an infield single. Max Muncy came up big with a big two run double with two outs. I believe that gave the Dodgers a five to four lead. Then in the sixth inning, Freddie Freeman had another RBI base knock. And then on a two on a one and two count to Trey Turner out of nowhere, LaRusso decides to intentionally walk him setting the table for Max Muncy with two runners on. And he took that personally because he took that relief pitcher deep, a three run home run that exploded the game, 10 to five Dodgers. Let me pass it over to Jake Reiner though. So we can get some thoughts on the Dodgers. Yeah. David was saying that, you know, if we get Max Muncy back, the Dodgers will start rolling again. And I think if we get Max Muncy back after today and he gets on a roll, we have Tony La Russa to thank for that. I mean, that is the, that Max Muncy feeds off of that feeds off of getting pissed off. And uh, it was a great moment. It was also completely confusing. I think they cut to Freeman uh, on second base. He was just like, what's going on? Um, I've never seen a batter get walked intentionally with a one and two count. I've never seen it. it You've hasn't seen- hasn't happened. That's yeah. why you haven't seen it. <laughs> well, there, th- th- that, that answers that mystery. Um, you see guys like, you know, the unintentional intentional walk where- you kind of throw a few balls outside the zone, maybe get guys to chase or whatever it is. Um, and then they eventually put them on, but this was bizarre. And even more bizarre was, was LaRusso's comments after basically challenging the reporter for questioning if it was a good move or not. He was, he was dead set that that was the best move. That was the best move in that, in that position. But I think even worse than that was what Kevin touched on is the fact that he left Dylan Cease out there to freaking die on the mound. I, the guy had thrown, he had started the inning, I think with like 65 pitches. And then he threw like 40 plus in that inning and just, and just died out there on the mound. It was unfortunate too, because Cease up until that point had been pitching really well. And see, it's funny. I, I saw a couple of tweets and one of them was that overall Trey Turner in his career with a one, two count is batting like 197 which is just, you know, that's not good by any stretch of the match. But it makes sense for a one-two count. Right. I mean, that's a normal thing to happen. But still, like, give Larusa just a little bit of credit. Trey Turner has been one of the best hitters in all of baseball with two outs and runners in scoring positions. So having Freeman on second base, he's maybe thinking like, oh, maybe if we put him on, Muncy's just coming off of the I.L. And we're coming off of it, or coming off, of, I don't think he went on the I.L., but coming off of his little rehab stint that he had down there. And then coming, so you'd think maybe, maybe that's a, a good guy to go after. But look what you saw. You're right. He's Max Muncy is a guy that feeds off of that stuff. And there was another tweet that I saw that when he was coming down and he was he was dropping f bombs. He's like, oh, you're gonna put you're gonna put him on with the f word and being like that's effing ridiculous. It was great because that I do think that that's gonna be something that just gets him pushed off into the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Muncy with a five RBI day. I think Tony LaRusso was the only person in the world who thought that was the right move because I heard a clip of the White Sox broadcast and the commentary basically started off with like, they're going to walk him intentionally. And then the other announcer, I think the play-by-play guy said, can you explain that one to me? And then they like tried to analyze it, but they had no rationale. And I don't know why Tony LaRusso is the manager of the White Sox. He's not the right man for the job, in my opinion. I don't see how he survives past the trade deadline at the current pace that the White Sox are going. And there's another manager who was fired recently that I can't wait to talk about in a little bit, but I know David looks like you got something you wanted to say. Yeah. So I have kind of a contrarian take here. So 
I'm not saying it was a good move, and I it's not something I would have done. But I think Dave, uh, I think Dave Roberts bringing in David Price yesterday, uh, knowing he was going to have to face AJ Pollock as opposed to taking the Bickford versus uh, Sheets matchup was significantly worse than what Larusa did today because technically Larusa played the matchup. Yes, you're forfeiting a one and two count uh, against Trey Turner who has a 190 batting average uh, in his career with a one two count, but I mean, look what Max Muncy's done this year. And then look at what he's done against left-handed pitchers as well. So he technically, he took the matchup. It was an incredibly weird and unorthodox way to do it, especially with a one-two count. But frankly, I mean, Dave Roberts has had AJ Pollock on his team for about four years. And what does AJ Pollock do? He hits lefties very well. And bringing in David Price, arguably your worst lefty, on the team to face AJ Pollock, knowing that AJ Pollock is going to come off the bench. I think he's significantly worse than what Tony LaRusso did today. Granted, I think they were both stupid, but I think if I had to pick one, I think what Roberts did was, was worse. I don't think that uh, Tony LaRusso really understands who Max Muncy is. And I think if he had a better understanding of that, he wouldn't have even pitched to Trey Turner because if you walk him initially without pitching to him, it's like, yeah, obviously you, base open Trey Turner, Max Muncy's coming up. It's a lefty lefty matchup. You're not you. Max Muncy has something to get upset about in that's in that situation. But the fact that you got Trey Turner to one and two and Max Muncy's on deck thinking this guy, this Tony LaRusso would rather face me with a fresh count versus only having to get one more strike against Trey Turner. No, screw that. You know, like that, that's the, the mind games <clears throat> that you have to play when you're managing a game and I'm glad that that Tony LaRussa kind of upstaged Dave Roberts in this game because if had the Dodgers lost and that four nothing deficit had held up I was going to come on here and talk about how I have no idea why they brought in Bruce Star Gratterall with the bases loaded and nobody out uh, that that move made no sense to me uh, in that situation and it didn't work so that's another questionable call that Roberts made but LaRussa kind of upstaged him. So one thing with the Brozdar Gratterall thing is that he's been struggling a little bit recently. So I think this was also a situation where he, they wanted a big time pitcher in a big time spot, because if that inning got out of hand, which it kind of did get a little out of hand, that inning gets out of hand. You, you, you can blame is like, Oh, why don't you bring somebody else in? But he's also been struggling. So having him there in that situation, maybe then the seventh inning and where it's a much larger situation where who knows what's going to happen, that he thought that he could get out of that with a higher leverage pitcher in that situation. It's about the way that the Dodgers go is very much, wherever the highest leverage situation is, that's where they want that, that pitcher. So that's kind of what I think the thinking was behind Bratterall there. I, I, I see what you're saying. I, I just look at this and I say the Dodgers offense really hasn't put it together. This is before they scored six runs. So I'm thinking that spot it's, it has, you're right. It has a chance for the game to just completely be blown open. And then you have no chance to come back. Why, why wouldn't you try and put, you know, one of your best high leverage relievers in that spot to stop the bleeding there, to give your offense a chance. Didn't end up mattering anyway, because the Dodgers put up 11 runs, but uh, I, I see you what you're rather saying. rather have seen in that situation than if you didn't want Gratterall with the bases loaded and nobody out. I mean, Phillips. Phillips, yeah, maybe. But yeah, I, I think they just wanted to go. It was probably some matchup based things too. And also Bruzdar does go with, gets a lot of soft contact for the most part. So you're thinking maybe he gets some double plays, maybe a strikeout here and there. So I don't know, that's just my thought. Yeah. I think all things considered, Gratterall got the job done for me. It could have been a lot worse. And really what 
did him in was just walk or hitting the batter with the bases loaded, allowing that additional run to score. But besides that, I mean, Gratterow got the job done, got the sack fly. You'll take that with the bases loaded, then no one else was able to score. So both hit by pitch, that was the problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, shout out to Gavin Lux, who had a big game as well, four hits. He raised his batting average up to 290. He's got a 373 on base on the year, and he's nine for his last 22 with a 480 on base. So despite not hitting the home runs, the singles are there for Lux, and he's been on fire. Yeah, I think he just missed the home run today, too. That that final at bat where he hit the double, there's a broken bat. I think if he gets clean contact or, or no broken bat, I think that's that's a home run. And that's literally the only thing we have Gavin Luck with this Dodgers lineup and where he's placed in the lineup. They don't really need the power from him. They need him to set the table for the top of the lineup, and that's exactly what he's been doing. Yeah, man, if you can go four for five, you know, if you could, or even a couple of hits just there, just getting on base, allowing to get to the bottom of the lineup to get back up to Mookie Betts, then he'll be just fine. I've never been much of a believer in Gavin Lux. I just think he, I think he's just kind of a guy for the most part, but I'm hoping that I'm wrong. And I hope that he becomes somebody that is just a more than the four a player that I've kind of seen him become, but yeah, he was great today and he's been, I mean, very steady, steady, solid all year. So hopefully that continues. That's all the way throughout. All right, let's go to the second game because there was another star who's just been the most consistent player on the Dodgers from a pitching standpoint. And I'll lead it in with the question from Matt, one of our loyal listeners at Dub Quacker 7. What makes Tony Gosselin's stuff works? He points out to us that he's not really a K guy, but despite all that, he's generating a lot of soft contact. Tony Gosselin, for his fifth consecutive start, was able to pitch six innings, gave up one run. He has a National League best 158 ERA on the season. And he's also holding opponents to, uh, I think, an MLB best 157 opposition against. So Tony Gonsolin, what a story he's been. So let's let's talk about Gonsolin for a second, then I'll read some hard-hitting stats about why he's so successful. The thing I, I love about Tony Gonsolin this season is, is that it, it appears as though the Dodgers can get a win with him on the mound when they need it the most. It, it usually comes after a loss, which is kind of what you want in your ace uh, to kind of stop the bleeding. If there is a bit of a slide, he's been that guy. Uh, he's been like the, the de facto ace of this staff, which is kind of remarkable when you consider all the rest of the names that are in this rotation. But I think what makes him most effective, and I think we've, we've talked about it on the show quite a bit, David certainly has, has brought this up, is his control. I mean, when he's able to pinpoint his pitches. He's, he's like Greg Maddox out there. I mean, he can, if he can put his pitches where he wants them to go, whether it's the fastball, the curveball, and and all the rest, he's, he's effective as, as any pitcher in the league. And he's proving that and he's dominating hitters and he is getting that soft, soft contact, but he's also getting a lot of strikeouts. And the, the most important part is that he's got the length too. He's going at least six innings pretty much every time out, which is huge for the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking for like an analytical angle of why Tony Gonsolin has been so good, I mean, besides the fact that he has command this year, which is something we haven't seen in the last year and a half with Gonsolin for the most part, I mean, it's his, it's his secondary pitches, the split finger and the slider. I mean, that's that's basically what it comes down to. Opponents are hitting 82 off the slider and 120 off the uh, split finger. He's in the top th- three percentile in hard hit percentage. So even when these guys are making contact, it's not going anywhere. It's it's that simple. And he's only been able to do that because he's been locating these pitches. He's always had the stuff. That's never been an issue with Gonsolin. But I think this this year, aside from going deeper into games than we've seen, 
uh, it's it's the command for sure. I think one of the things that the biggest moment for him was yesterday when he, I think it was the fifth inning. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but he had, he had guys on base. There was nobody out and he worked through it and got through that with only allowing one run where well, that could have been one another, one of those blow up innings. It kind of reminded me why we love Walker Bueller so much, who he hasn't been this, this year, but in the, in the playoffs, he'll have bases loaded, nobody out. And he finds a way to get through that inning and he is pitching and he's like to your location that you're talking about, Jake, that was exactly the same thing that I saw from Tony Gonsolin yesterday yesterday getting out of that inning was massive and made it so that now you kind of trust him out there a little bit more in those types of situations where in times past we saw it in playoff series where he pitched in those types of situations he wasn't getting out of it he wasn't locating his pitches so I think that was a huge huge spot for him yeah I love that Roberts allowed him to work out of that jam and the picture that he's reminding me a lot right now up to the up until this point is the season that Zach Greinke put together back in 2015 Every time out, Gonsolin's throwing a quality start. And the other big thing with him is he's just actually healthy this season. Last season, he was naggered by that shoulder all year long, which really threw off his command. And he is locating his slider for strikes, as David pointed out, the low batting average against 39% whiffs that he's generating. And he's yet to give up one a single home run with that uh, slider. And then the split finger fastball, the spin rate is just out of control right now on that. And he's only given up one home run. He's just generating a lot of soft contact and he's locating that pitch where he wants it to go. And you can just tell he's got confidence out there. He's pitching with stride and he just trusts everything that he's throwing right now to the batters. Yeah. I love the, the, the K struts yesterday yeah. was so cool. I mean, he's just, he's got that confidence. He's got that swag. Um, and I, I agree with Kevin in, in, in that fifth inning when Roberts let him figure it out and get out of that inning was huge. I mean, because you got to think that like in those moments, if your manager trusts you, that means you're, you're a guy, you know, and we're used to seeing uh, the Dodgers kind of baby Gonsolin a little bit, you know, take him out at the first sign of trouble, but he's earned the right to be there. And so letting him work through that and then proving that he could is, is going to be huge moving forward. So I think one of the things that he reminds me of a little bit, and I hope it's not this case, is Ross Stripling early in the year and when he became a, a, an all-star and then he kind of fell off a little bit in the back end. Same thing with Alex Wood where he did the same thing where I don't think he lost a start for the first 10 or 11 starts before and then he was an all-star. So hopefully that's going to tell a lot about Gonsolin in the second half of the season if he can keep up with the same type of outings that he's having now down in the end if we can start counting on him when it comes down to the playoff time. That will definitely be the biggest challenge for him because the workload has not even been even close to a full seasons yet. So I'm yeah, definitely curious. One more, well. one more thing. He's just from last year to this year, last year he threw his four seam fastball 43% of the time this year, it's down to 35% of the time. And he's, we've seen an uptick in usage in the split finger and the curveball. So I think just mixing it up more has helped Gonsolin as well. And then the Dodgers dropped that first game. Michael Kopech just absolutely shoved. We already talked about the David price. I, we're all frustrated with him on this podcast. I, I feel like the time is nearing for him to just be DFA'd. I, I don't know what else there is for him to prove at this point because it's just been pretty underwhelming. I'm comparing him to the Lou Aldang experience. Yeah. There's just no role for him on this team. I mean, there hasn't been since he, since he joined the team. There hasn't been. No, he's, he's the guy that comes in when you're up by seven or you're down by seven. Right. Just kind of give him a little, couple of innings and hope he doesn't blow it or make it worse. All right, cool. Let's talk about this giant series because that's next up on the slate. Dodgers going to San Francisco. They got three games 
Right now, the 30 and 26 Giants are six and a half back of the Dodgers. Got to like that little buffer because last season, these two teams really battled it out neck and neck. Every game mattered. Dodgers have a little bit of more luxury despite losing five of six to the Pirates and splitting with the Mets. They still have that six and a half lead. But the first game features Walker Buehler looking to redeem himself. He'll be facing Jacob Junis, who's got a three and one, 251 ERA. Junis used to be on the Royals. He was pretty bad. I guess he's a part of the Giants cheating lab experiment now because I don't know how he's rocking a 250 ERA. But let's talk about Walker Buehler because a couple of our listeners did want to want us to get in on this. So first from Steve M, how do you fix Walker Buehler? And then at Ryan, catch the blues as well. Wanted to talk about Buehler as well. I mean, to set the topic up in his last outing against the Mets, he was flat out awful. Shortest outing of his career, went two and a third innings, gave up five runs, two home runs. He had a 4-1 lead, blew it, uh, 384 ERA on the season, but over his last seven starts, closer to a five ERA with a one and a half whip. If we knew how to fix Walker Bueller, none of us would be on this podcast right now and we'd be on the Dodgers coaching staff. Yeah. Um, I don't really know how to fix him. I mean, he just he just isn't throwing his fastball as well as we're normally seeing him throw his fastball. And it's not just the velocity, it's the movement too. Um, I was actually, because I have nothing better to do some days, I was re-watching um, some old playoff highlights, uh, not just of Walker Bueller, but just, you know, I was curious. I, I, I kind of forgotten what happened in that NLCS against the Brewers in 2018. I was just watching some highlights and Walker Bueller. I mean, there's just, and even in the 2020 world series too, there's just that extra zip and that extra movement. That's just unhittable from his fastball. That's his bread and butter. And the, the breaking stuff is, is working. But when, when teams know that you don't have your fastball, they're going to be sitting on that breaking stuff. And we saw what happened when, uh, I think it was Francisco Lindor just sitting on that curveball, just absolutely demolished it. Um, I don't really know why this is happening, um, but yeah, it, it is concerning at this point. So it feels like a command issue to me too. I, everything you're saying is absolutely right, Jake, but it's like the velocity is down, but he's not pinpointing anymore. There's the location is off. He has no, it doesn't seem like he has control. He's walking more guys than he normally does. And it just, if you're, so if you're, if your velocity drops the way that it is and you're not able to have the extra movement and you're not finding, and, and you don't have the location either, you're going to smack the round over and over again. And so there's just something that needs to be found out for him and to fix him. Yeah. Like you said, I have no idea how to fix him. I think the only way to go about it is, finding a little time on the 15 day IL and let him just kind of figure it out on the on back and say he has an inflamed shoulder or he has a knee injury or whatever, it, whatever you want to call it, you can, they get away with it, but let him sit for a little bit, kind of work it out, work out, find that velocity again, find the, the accuracy. And then hopefully from there, he'll get better. But the Dodgers love to do this. They love to just let the guys work through it. We saw it with Bellinger. We were starting to see it with Muncie, but they finally said, okay, let's bring, let's drop, let him go down and get some rehab starts. Hopefully they do the same thing with Bueller. They have enough pitching to get through to get through it. Mitch White will do just fine. Um, they'll bring up Ryan Pepio. They'll be able to have other guys that can fill in that spot, especially this early in the season. Let him figure it out. Yeah. So like we said last week, I mean, the issue with Bueller is 100% the fastball. Well, there, there's no secret about that. Everybody in the league knows it. And frankly, I mean, it could be a couple things, but the thing that stands out to me, honestly is the spin rate of the fastball. I mean, you go to 2020, it was averaging around 2,500. 
You go to 2021, it was around 2450-ish. And you go to this year, and it's about 2260 on average. So that's a significant drop in spin rate. And that's, you know, you put that with someone whose fastball is already lacking a lot of movement. It's a pretty flat-ish fastball, and he's been able to get away with it because of the spin rate and the high velocity. So take that as, as you may, but I mean – that's probably a factor here. I, I can't imagine how that's not a factor. And people are going to throw out the sticky stuff uh, debate and into that situation with Bueller. I don't know if I'm fully there. I don't, I don't know how much of a, a role that plays in in this situation. But in terms of the actual success of the fastball, the spin rate being down is, is 100% at least a top two or three culprit here, along with mechanics and, and possibly just general wear and tear on the arm. Yeah, according to the Davis David Vasse reports, it's they think it's just purely a mechanical issue. They're attributing it to one, the way his foot is landing on the mound. It's not how it used to be, and just the the release point, something is off as well. I don't I know mean, if the, I buy that though. The velocity at the end of the day, overall, is still there. It's about equal to where it was last season. It's just not spinning, and thus that's why opponents are hitting about 377 against his four seamer slugging is over 600 and now it's starting to affect the cutter as well that's got a 277 opponent batting average against so yeah like jake mentioned that now they can just sit on his breaking stuff and i think pete alonzo was another guy who took bueller deep i mean the team has to say something right david you have to say something to get it out to go this is he's just his foot's not landing in the right spot but once he figures that out he'll be fine yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, I don't know how much a stock I put into that Vasse report, but I, I wouldn't buy it, frankly. Well, last season, they didn't really have the luxury of putting Bueller on the aisle to rest him because they were just so short on starters. This season, I guess they could do that with Clayton Kershaw coming back Sunday and Andrew Heaney returning very soon as well. But I don't know. I don't really see the Dodgers doing that right now. I think they're going to let him figure it out against the Giants. Always do. And if he shoves, then the people that were questioning him will be quiet for at least another outing. And what can you say? I mean, I feel like people are acting like Bueller's throwing out a five ERA every time out. But I mean, he's, his ERA is still under four. Besides that one Mets outing, he's been serviceable all season. I mean, he has six wins. It's not like he's 0-6 or something. He's still a freaking good starter. He's giving up runs. That's the problem. It's just he's nine. He's not the same guy that he, we've seen. He was supposed to be a Cy Young candidate coming into this season. People thought my pick. Yeah, and he's not. Yeah, and he's not putting guys away either. Which is which is tough. He's getting two strikes on him, but he's not able to put them away. It's an eight percent put away percentage with the fastball. Eight. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. There's they're also hitting him. It's not. I mean, it's it's location, but they're hitting him hard too. These aren't soft contact. There's it's he's getting batted around. That's the problem. It's he might get the wins because the Dodgers have an incredible offense, but for the most part. There's, he's not the same guy. Yeah. His K percentage, his whiff rate, and his hard hit against are all bottom half of the league. So not the same guy. But then after Bueller, the second start, this is this is the curious case for me. I don't know why people are acting like Julio Urias is having a bad season. He's sporting a 278 ERA. But the way you hear people on Twitter and Facebook, you would think he's got a four and a half ERA, but his ERA right now is better than it was when he finished last season. And then he's facing TBD. So I don't know who the Giants are throwing yet. <laughs> Great picture that TBD. But it's because people just like to lump those two together. They lump 
Bueller and Urias together because they you see if one has a bad outing at the around right next to the other one, they think, oh, they're both having bad outings. They're both been he pitched great the other night. In his last outing, he was he pitched, they ended up losing the game. I think that's part of the problem too, is the Dodgers are losing his starts. So what is he? Something around three and five, two yeah. and something along those lines so he's already have so when you see the losses piling up they think oh he's pitching poorly he's only giving up a run two runs here and there it's he's actually pitching pretty well and there's there's a couple outings where he will be a little bit wild so he'll have three four walks and that's a little bit concerning but for the most part he's getting out of the innings he's doing the things that walker bueller is not doing i think Orius has been just fine yeah aside from that one philly start where he got rocked yeah it's been pretty pretty great yeah and, you know, another thing that's not really talked about, and I think could be, you know, a, a factor in why people are, are saying that, is he's not getting any run support. I mean, last year he was like top two in the league in run support. And this year I think he's bottom, I want to say bottom 10 or bottom 15. So I think that plays, you know, if, if the Dodgers win that game, I think that kind of yeah generally has getting... a positive impact on, on – uh, people's opinion of the starter and if they lose it's like oh well julio gave up two runs so what's wrong with it yeah i think he's getting like three and a third run support a game which is very low but i mean the one thing last year he was at like seven or eight a game the one thing that i will say that does stand out with urias to me he also isn't really striking out batters 58 innings pitched 46 strikeouts yeah but that's i mean to go back to the other point that's why wins are such a a weird stat like that's why they don't really look at it in the MVP or the Cy Young or anything anymore because you have a guy with six wins and Walker Bueller that's pitching pretty terribly over the last couple starts and you have Urias who's pitching pretty well and is not getting the win so it's really just about your team final game of that matchup series will be pretty exciting Carlos Rodon taking the mound for the Giants and Clayton Kershaw making his return it's been out for over a month now so excited to see what Kershaw will do I'm estimating that they let him go five innings, 75 pitches, give or take. Pretty standard, yeah. Yeah. Watch, no. watch him throw another perfect game through five, and then Roberts <laughs> has to take him out. Yeah, what do you do in that situation? Let's say he goes five innings, he has, but he's at right around, you know, 80 pitches at six innings or seven innings, then he's a perfect game, 80 pitches. You take him out or you let him go? He's coming right off the I.L. I'd take, take him out. out. Oh, they yeah, take him out. There it is. They take they him take out. Him out. Yeah, no, but what they're, do you they're, do? They're not deviating from that plan. <laughs> I'm taking him out. I'm so you would out. take him out. You would not let I him would. stay. I'll nope. do it. He's too injury prone. We need him. Yep, totally agree. But that'll make for great sports. I hate it. I, I would hate it. <laughs> I would hate it, but. Well, then we can be mad at Hanley Ramirez again, not Dave Roberts. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the Dodgers won the first two games of the season series so far. That also happened last season. We know how the end result worked out. So the Dodgers can't take this team lightly. I know they won't. Jock Peterson's got 13 home runs for the Giants. Mike Yastrzemski has been another hot hitter as well. 845 OPS on the season. Luis Gonzalez reincarnated, I guess, in a (laughs) walk-off hit against the Rockies a couple nights ago. Of course he did. But other than that, this Giants offense has been pretty cold overall. I mean, Brandon Crawford's regressed. Evan Longoria has been a non-factor. They had to send down their top prospect from a couple years ago, Joey Bart, because he can't hit the baseball whatsoever. And then uh, Kevin Padlow, they recently DFA'd. We saw him in the first go around. So just not a lot of action for the Giants, which is good news for the Dodgers. I think they were talking about activating Brandon Belt for the series too. So we might get to see him. Oh, fun. 
I mean, it was going to happen, right? You couldn't have the same type of season as you did last year. That, that They just were perfect all the way through. I mean, Buster Posey had one of his best seasons, you know, in years. And all, then he retired. So all those guys were just kind of past their prime. Crawford, Longoria, Posey last year. They were all, you know, at a situ- at a point of – they were not supposed to get better. They were supposed to start declining. And so now you're starting to see those declining start declines start to happen. I'm not surprised by it, but they're going to be there. They're going to be there towards the end. They're always going to be when you have Farhan Zaidi kind of picking and choosing guys and bringing them up. They're always going to find guys that are that are get those big hits like the Luis Gonzalez. Anything else you guys wanted to talk about with this Dodgers Giants series? I mean, it's uh, going to be it's going to be a tough series no matter what. It no matter how good or how bad the Giants are, or how bad the Dodgers. I think that the that Walker Bueller start is going to be pivotal. I mean, not only for him, but for, to set the tone for the series, um, you know, it'll kind of dictate how we think the series is going to go from there, from there on out. If, if the Dodgers uh, are able to uh, take two out of three, at least in San Francisco. Yeah. I'm kind of bummed. We're going to miss uh, Logan Webb. I was, I was like facing him. I like facing the team's best pitchers in the regular season. Uh, just in case we have to see him in the postseason. that means we get a look at him. Uh, but Rodon is going to be a tough start for sure. Uh, that is that is the typical prototype of pitcher the Dodgers have historically struggled against. Uh, these other two games, Junis and, and whoever else they decide to throw, probably a bullpen game or, or something else, those should be wins, frankly. I mean, the Giants are not what they were last year. Uh, Muncy looks good. He plays well in that ballpark, as everybody knows. So I'm expecting two, two wins in this series. I'll be there tomorrow night, so I hope one of those is tomorrow. Nice. Uh, and, uh, hey, if I get there early enough, maybe I'll say hi to my best friend, Logan Webb. <laughs> we also need Bueller to go deep because the bullpen was pretty overworked today. got to assume Daniel Hudson won't be available after throwing, like, 40 pitches. Gratterall's Boy, Daniel back. Hudson had to work today, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he did. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Gratterall, he, needed, he needed to get that final out too, because that was for sure going to be his last batter. And then it would have been David Price time. Oh, and then it would have been then it would have been me being angry time. <laughs> yeah. Kimbrell should be back, but I don't think Gratterall will be available by pitching backs back days. Bessie had to work a lot as well. Uh, Ferguson, who's been awesome so far this season. I don't know if they're comfortable using him on back to back days either. So that's a question mark. And then Phil Bickford has kind of just been uh, average. So, so this season. And that's Daniel Hudson on back-to-back days too. So he's done. Yeah, for yeah exactly. Almonte may have to be the closer tomorrow. I really like Almonte. Yeah. By the way. He's been great. He's Matt. been great for my uh, Blake trying withdrawals. He's got the same pitch mix too. Yep. Yep. It's been phenomenal. All right. After the giants, the Dodgers then face the angels who Wow. Where do I even start with the angels? Well, first of all, they're currently on a 14 game losing streak. They were 27 and 17 at one point. They're now 27 and 31. They recently fired Joe Madden. I know one of the running jokes on your guys' show is that you interviewed Joe Madden and then they didn't win a game since. Yeah. Well, uh, no is the highlight that we like to play for them. But <laughs> disagreeing with Mason because that's what every big name person that comes on has to do now. 
But yeah, like uh, when it comes to Joe Madden, I was not surprised by this. And I don't know why so many people are surprised by this. It's because of the name. It's the same thing with Tony La Russa up in, uh, up in Chicago that he's going to get let go, but they're sticking around because of the name. And then Joe Madden, when, if you talk to anybody that's from Chicago, even after he won the world series, they despised him. They thought that he made terrible decisions in the, in the under pressure. They thought that he couldn't understand how to use a bullpen. And the fact of the matter was that they won based off of the, the team that they actually, they just happened to have a, a monster team and he blew some of those games in the next ongoing seasons even though he won 90 games with all those guys he has not been the same guy that he has been. they're under 500 in the three years that he's been with the angels and everything that he's done is it's apparently has been even in the offseason has been rubbing people the wrong way his act gets old i wasn't surprised whatsoever that he got fired and really didn't have a problem with it everybody's just like oh my god joe madden was fired well Fine. If it was Jace Tingler, would you still be upset? No, you wouldn't care. But because it was Joe Madden, they're like, this is ridiculous. So I'm, it doesn't, it doesn't make, it made perfect sense to me to like let him go. It's really a Shohei Otani thing too, because he wants to win. And if they're losing in the middle of a 12 game losing streak at the time, that's not showing Otani that you want to win. I got to get back in on this before someone steals my thunder, but I wanted to bring up, this is, either going to be my out of left field or idiot of the week. Can I just say one more thing on Joe Madden real quick? I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. Just do not blow Uh, what I want to say. Okay. I I probably won't. It's been well-documented that I do not like Joe Madden. I think he's pretentious. I think he cares way more about proving to us, the everyday baseball watcher that he's smart and that he's smarter than all of us. And he makes these unconventional moves that rarely ever work out. And this is where it got him. This is exactly where it got him on his couch, watching the angels lose instead of being in the dugout, watching the angels lose. So frankly, it was a long time coming in my opinion. I mean, this guy only won a world series because the Indians blew a three game lead three to one lead. So I think he's one of the most overrated managers we've seen in the last two decades. And, and I, I, frankly, I don't feel bad for him. He's, he's, he's pretentious. He's obnoxious. And I don't think he's that good of a manager. So I just needed to say that it's well-documented. I do not like him. You know who he reminds me of? It's the same type of guy who won a championship because they had a great team around him and everybody has this great feeling towards him, but I would never want him coaching my team. Doc Rivers. I, he, they're the, basically the same person to me that he was, he won a championship in Boston and he's been basically just mediocre everywhere else he's gone. And it's been the team around them that has always gotten them further into the playoffs. But when it comes to an actual series that they need to win, he's not there. He's the wrong guy. I don't, I, both those two, not fans, not fans. I'm not trying to defend Joe Madden, but he did take the Tampa Bay Rays to a World Series. Uh, who was who was uh, leading their organization at that point? Andrew Friedman. All right, so who That's really exactly took him? Right. That's exactly who really right. took him? Well, here's my question: How much of it was Joe Madden, and how much of it was just bad rosters? They had up until this season, they've had zero pitching. I mean, they've had the the pitching isn't great this year, but it's it's leaps and bounds better than it ever was. I'm sorry. If you have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani on a team and you can't even make the playoffs, you should not be managing that team. I don't care if I'm pitching for you. I don't. But if you I don't mean, have any, if you don't have a, if you don't have a pitching staff and, and Rysel Iglesias is your closer, like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's tough to win games when you, also, when you also the peaks have not overlapped because when Otani was going off trout basically missed the season. Yeah, that's, that's but fair. They've had injuries. They've had a lot of different, 
different things, but like, let's be honest, a manager absolutely wins, wins and loses you maybe 10 games in an entire season whatsoever. So do I think that the, the Angels are losing because of Joe Madden? No, but he's not helping out the situations. Yeah, and when I there's agree, times when he has to, when he works with the bullpen and when, who, when to bring in which guy and playing matchups and deciding which way to go in different situations, I think he makes the wrong decision. So well, I, I think the, the bigger point is what you made earlier, Greg, which is about his, his relationship with the players. That's why Dave Roberts is sticking around as long as right. he is. He, yep. The players love him. He's, he's able to control that roster and make it a welcoming environment for everyone. And he's got to manage a lot of egos. One of the big reasons why, well, many reasons why the Lakers didn't work out last season, but you know, Frank Vogel lost the room. I mean, you know, the guy won a championship with that team and then he lost the room and he wasn't able to, you know, get anybody else to buy in. And even when the Dodgers are going through, you know, rough stretches, it's not like their, their foundation implodes. And that's, you know, that's really the, the, the manager's job uh, of a baseball team. And if, if Joe Madden is losing the room or he's not communicating effectively, then yeah, he's got to go. But, but again, I don't think he is the sole reason or the, even the biggest reason why the angels haven't been successful. Oh yeah. By the way, just real fast, Frank Vogel got a completely raw deal and I don't even yep. get into that, but he got an absolutely raw deal. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. All right. So back to where I was trying to go with this idiot of the week out of left field, all combined into one. This was when the angels were on their 13 game losing streak. They thought this brilliant idea would end that rut. And that was with all their players deciding to walk up to Nickelback. That has to go down in my book as one of the worst, not like baseball related, just like I, not strategic or whatever you want. I, you probably get what I'm trying to say, but <laughs> unrelated to baseball, that is like the most idiotic thing I've ever heard in sports. Of all the great artists that exist in the world, how do you come up with Nickelback, who not only sucks and makes your ears bleed, but the Angels ended up losing that game one to nothing. So I think that was that the point, work. though. Yeah, it was. I, I think it was like an ironic thing. I know I was listening to MLB Network and apparently like their bullpen quality assurance coach or some random position hypes the team up on the bus by blasting Nickelback. Uh, that's a Phil Nevin thing right there. He's like, this is my first act as acting manager <laughs> to play Nickelback. I mean, they could have come up with a better band. I mean, maybe it's like, oh, hey, it's a reverse jinx kind of thing. Play the really bad songs, the really bad, uh, you know, bands, and maybe we'll play better. Uh, it's, it was not a good. <laughs> I mean, it, made, it was funny. I mean, overall. There's a Nickelback lyric in their song Rockstar that goes, it's like the bottom of the ninth. I'm never going to win. Yep. Uh, I have to just deviate a little bit. I was, uh, I was on uh, sports central last night on, on CBS and I did a entire angels highlight and I mixed in all of the Nickelback lyrics that I could come up with to fit each scenario. And that was one of them that I had in there. It's the bottom of the ninth and I'm never going to win. And I put that at the end of the highlight. I just, I think that was the point though. Like, I think win or lose, you're in the middle of what was a 13-game losing streak, ended up becoming a 14-game losing streak, and you're just trying to shake something up, get something else going. Um, It obviously didn't work. I don't think that if you would have picked any other artist, it would have worked. Uh, It would have worked 100%. It, this is this falls on Nickelback. hundred percent, Kevin. No, this falls no. on Nickelback. It's not the fact that they oh, Jesus wanted to 
choose an artist as their walk-up song. It's the fact that they thought Nickelback was a good idea. When it's a all reverse great... psychology type of thing. Yeah, it's it's like oh, an ironic. This is their hype music. I'm telling you, I heard the bullpen coach get interviewed. I don't care what the hell the quality control coach said. There's no way that Angels roster decided to do this and be like, oh yeah, this is going to get us super hyped up. Like we're going to play well. I'm telling no, you, if, it's if there was a County. band, if there was a band that Mike Trout liked. Nickelback kind of seems like his, you know, I don't know. He seems like the type of dude. He is a little bit dry. Yeah. Nick look at Brandon Marsh. That guy looks like a Nickelback fan. Yeah. Brandon Marsh definitely listens to Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, even the, no, maybe even Noah Syndergaard. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. You could have played the offspring who are from Orange County. You could play No Doubt who are from That's Orange not County. That's funny. But it wasn't the point, though. Yeah, you're missing. Did you see? Did you see? I'm not the missing the point. The point did you see? is they thought Nickelback was gonna hype them up. Not oh. seriously, though. No, seriously. Oh. Did you see what the Angels? Did you see what the Angels tweeted yeah, out? I did. Did you see what the I Angels did. tweeted out after good. the game? It was. It was. A, that was yeah. great. What did they tweet out? I didn't see it. It was a. It was that. It, it's that freeze frame of that from the song photograph of Chad Kroger. He's holding up the 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 photograph, but in the photograph was the final score of them losing one to nothing. <laughs> That's really funny, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I did see that now. I would have brought that up. That's funny as hell. Yeah, so the Dodgers might be facing Noah Syndergaard, who was initially scheduled to face the Mets, but I guess he chickened out. Maybe he couldn't handle the, the Mets booze or something. So he might be facing the Dodgers. It might be Reed Detmers. And it also looks like Shohei Otani could be lined up. I'm not entirely sure how the Angels are going to map this out, but definitely would love to see Otani start against the Dodgers, who actually... The Dodgers have owned him in the past. He hasn't been pitching all that great just in general right now. He hasn't really been hitting too much either. So, I mean, it, it was bound to happen. He's going to go through ups and downs. But I would love to see Shohei. If, I, if he's pitching one of those games, i got to figure out a way just to get to the ballpark. Yeah. That's must-see. Yeah. All right. So that's pretty much all I have baseball-wise. Just wanted to mention real quick that Kevin Pillar out for the season, fractured his shoulder, played a whopping four games, I think, for the blue team. So that sucks for him because he actually wanted to wait it out in the minors to play for his childhood team, the Dodgers. Then he got the call finally after the Muncie injury, and then he got hurt. Um, but other than that, you know, the Dodgers doing good health-wise. We got Kershaw coming back. Heaney's coming back. Blake Trinan is progressing very well in the right direction as well. So don't know the update with Danny Duffy. That is the big question mark. Feel like he was supposed to be back in June. Have not heard a single update. This is just like last season when they traded for him. Yeah, I mean, what are, what are we doing with Danny Duffy? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> he was he was one of those dudes that you brought in. It was basically a Tommy Canley type thing situation, right? Where you bring him in and hope that he comes in. He's like, okay, great. You actually, we knew you were going to be out for the entire year last year. But we brought you in to actually to pitch this year, just like Canley. And then Canley got hurt again, obviously. But that's what Danny Duffy was. He was just an insurance, like, hey, let's see if we can bring you in. And next year you do something for him. We might as well still have Cole Hamels on the roster. I mean, it's no, the same yeah. thing. It was exactly the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we need any more Danny Duffy updates unless he's like actually has pitched the game for the Dodgers. I think we're good on that, Kevin. I figured someone's probably wondering. Yeah. <laughs> should uh, should we do a little uh, MLB pickle? Remember that thing that I did last time? Yeah, if you sure. Are. Um, what is this? What is an Greg, MLB pickle? Greg, I actually <laughs> I actually took this from you. Oh, um, wonderful! I don't even know what it is. Yeah, so <laughs> you know how you guys you guys do purdle? Oh God. All right. Good luck. This, this is baseball this is, is tough, man. This is MLB. This is MLB's version of Purdue. Kevin so. and I got in three last week. Oh, yeah, we nice. Did. Nice job. 
Okay, so they had they had something with it was it was Wardle, and now did they change it over to, yeah. to Pickle? Okay, yeah. All right, so this is what we're looking at here, um, and and since Greg is our guest, mm-hmm. Greg, come up with a uh, a random baseball player. It could be a pitcher, a batter, but it has to be current. All right, so I miss him. So give me Corey Seager. All right, so, up, so here's the deal. Uh, this player it bats left-handed. He's from the United States. And he's either in the American League or he's in the National League West, but mm-hmm. he, but he's not in the AL West. Okay, let's try an NL West player then. And it's not a shortstop, and he's not 28. It doesn't say whether he's older or younger. Yeah, it's it's kind of different from Pirtle in that it doesn't tell you how far away you are from it, but okay. yeah. Let's go with Bellinger. Okay, so is that is that one or two away since it's twenty six? Is that it's within it's within two? Okay, so this now we know it's an American League player too, right? It's not yes. in the NL West. It's not yeah. in the NL West, so it has to either be in the AL Central or AL East. Oh damn! Oh, uh, it's an American left hander. Uh, what about yeah, pitcher? It could be. Let's see. Um, what is Garrett Cole yeah. lefty or righty? Righty, righty. Give me throw in Joey Gallo. Why not? Okay, AL East. Okay, so not the Yankees. So it's got to be the Red Sox. Uh, it's not a center fielder, so it's not going to be like a Kike. Um, Toronto, Tampa Bay, or the Orioles, and, or the Orioles. Yeah, well, I'm Orioles. They don't exist. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I'm, not, I'm not participating because I already got this one today. So. Not great with the AL. Uh, let's see. Who is in on Toronto? How about uh, McClanahan? Oh, Shane McClanahan. about to say. Bingo. Oh, Bang. nice. <laughs> Bang. Nice. Absolute oh. snipe. Wow. Hey, that's a pitcher. There you go. See? There you go, Shane McClanahan. He nice could win the Cy Young this year too. He's killing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was fun. Yeah, nice job. And uh, and also, Greg, if you wanted to bring that up on Mason and Ireland, you could do MLB Pickle as well as Pirtle. There is no way that Ireland is getting anything that is baseball related, and especially if it's outside of Dodgers or Angels. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about Mace? Mace, uh, Mace would do really well with the NL. So if it's an AL team, I, there's no chance because he's in a fantasy baseball league, but it's NL only. So he knows everybody. That's so NL. weird. <laughs> it's, it's, it is the worst league I've ever <laughs> in my life. It's a six hour draft. It's all by auction based. And it was, there's all these extra rules. You have to get a certain amount of games for each one. It's, it was awful. If, if you want to go on the waiver wire, you have to send in an email request. Oh, God. Oh, it's terrible. It's so behind the times. It's just, it was awful. Yeah, All of his okay. leagues are crazy. I'm done with fantasy anyway. No more. <laughs> Ever again. All right, guys. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about before I ask one final question to Greg? Uh, just real quick, my final thought is congratulations to Justin Turner for getting his thousandth hit as a Dodger. I think that's 18th most in Dodger history. Uh, not having the best year in terms of Justin Turner standards, but nonetheless still a Dodger legend. And congratulations to Justin Turner. Yeah, congrats, JT. 
Anything, Jake? No, I'm good. I, I had my my fill with MLB Pickle. That was great. <laughs> All right. So, Greg, I want your honest thoughts on this, unless you have to be silent. Do you trust Russell Westbrook? Do you think they can win with him? Do you think they get rid of Russ Westbrook? What What are they going to do? I don't think he goes anywhere. Do I trust Russ Westbrook? Absolutely not. I, I'm a huge UCLA fan. And I mean, you see behind me, you can see the John Wooden pyramid of success. But either way, no, Russell Westbrook was an absolute disaster. There's why do we think that at some point Russell Westbrook is going to be different than he was last year? All of a sudden, he's going to decide, yes, I'm okay with being a six-man. Yes, I'm okay with distributing the ball and not shooting threes. Yes, I'm okay with not just driving down the lane with absolute abandon and just going to wherever I need to do. I don't think he's going to be anything other than who he is because that's what they tell him too. And nobody talks about it. Everybody tells him, just be Russ, just be Russ, let Russ be Russ. And he does not, he never does it. So I don't think he's going to change. I don't think they're going to win a championship with him. Though my only hope is that at some point in the end, at right around the trade deadline, they can move him for somebody for a couple pieces that could actually help them move to be in a championship level um, and with an ex- as being an expiring contract. But otherwise, I don't expect much to happen out of it. And I really think Darvin Ham was actually brought in not for this year, but for future years. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I've always hated the Westbrook deal. We had Geeter on last season who was really hyped for the team. And I had to like, bite, I had to bite my tongue because I just had a feeling that 80 would get hurt and Westbrook would be what he, what he became. But I, I'll just say it now. I think the Lakers pull it out. I think they trade Russell Westbrook. It might be a, th- might be a three or four team swing, but they're going to get it done. <laughs> going to get it all over the trade machine, huh? Three or four team. That's going to be very, very fun. I mean, it'll be fun to talk about. Throw, throw David Price in that trade, will you? <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, Greg, for joining us. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Bergman Greg. He's also on Instagram as well. He's I know in the past you would do lives talking Lakers. I don't know if you still do Dodgers as well. No, but, I don't do either one anymore. Too much going on. Yeah, you're a busy man. <laughs> He's corporate the, Greg, come on. Yes, corporate. Yes. Busy man. I appreciate you guys having me on, so thank you very much. That was fun. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Thank Greg. you, yes. Appreciate Make sure to listen anytime. to Greg on ESPN 710. We're closing out now. Make sure to subscribe to the Incline Dodgers wherever you get your podcasts and read Fansided. They got all kinds of sports content. Peace out, everyone. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.